Welcome to the A to Z of David Bowie. I'm Mark Riley, and that colourful character is Rob Hughes. As you'll be aware, the A to Z of David Bowie is free to download. <laughs> Lunacy. But if you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things, and for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Why, so now you're thinking $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of great new exclusive materials delivered to your door. Well, computer actually, Mark. Via a system called Patreon. That's right, Mark. Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Materials such as interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends, there'll be regular film Bowie quizzes, Bowie guitar tutorials, unreleased archive written material, competitions, and perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Nock, and Jason Reed. Visiting in various Bowie places of interest. And much more besides. All this for just $5 a month. So if you can't resist, simply go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash cheap things, or one word, and join up. There's also a website. Bowie at cheapthings.com. Book early. S is for sessions, BBC sessions. With permission, okay, we are now going to uh, pretty much give you an audio book uh, of the complete David Bowie by Nicholas Pegg. Now, this is a great book, isn't it, Bob? It is, indeed. It's one of the Bibles, really. We always go on about Any Day Now by Kevin Can because it's so great for that particular period of Bowie's life. Uh, but for anybody who wants anything uh, closely resembling a brilliant reference book, then this is it. Certainly. But it's much more than that. It's really, really interesting and brilliantly written as well. And so everything is in there. You've got the songs from A to Z, you've got the albums, you've got videos, tours... It's all in there, and uh, it seemed like it was the most kind of concise and easy way, particularly for me and you, Bob, <laughs> to, do, to do this. So, in effect, we've just let Nick do all of the work. But I did get in touch with him uh, via Twitter, and uh, bless him, he gave us complete carte blanche to just give everybody else uh, the material that is in his book, which Wonderful. is what we're going to do in it. It is indeed. So we should probably set it up by saying that between 1967 and 99, Bowie recorded 15 major sessions for BBC Radio. He did. So this is the compilation of those. I'll tell you what was uh, really interesting. So when I got into Bowie, at that point in time, the two bootlegs that were kind of surfacing at that point were vinyl and cassette. Right. And I remember a mate of mine had a cassette of the Peel Sessions, and it was Bowie, and it was all, you know, stuff like bombers and that. Yeah. But I, I, I didn't know really who John Peel was. Because I was a toddler. Yes. Um, but they were they were the real kind of like the holy grail, if you like. Mm. And, and at that point in time, <laughs> you couldn't even like copy cassettes. No, that's true. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I remember Frank Sidebottom, he once did a thing whereby he had a four-track cassette um, uh, set up. Yeah. And it was just basically four of those little cassettes that you used to get, the cassette players. Right. Sellotaped together. You'd just, you'd just be in mischievous. But, of course, a little bit later down the line, you get the ghetto blasters and you can easily do copy to copy. Yeah, sure. Which was kind of revolutionary. And those mixtapes came out of that and people started making up their different cassettes for each other. Yeah. Just brilliant. But at that point in time, you had a cassette. You could record on it, which mm. seemed great. And, yeah. And people, you know, of my generation would record off the TV and it would obviously sound really, really bad. Uh, but if somebody had a cassette of the David Bowie Peel Sessions, you couldn't copy it. You, no. you, you had to borrow it. It's just the, just the real terms that we're talking about. Yeah. Of course, of course. So we're looking at Top Gear, aren't we, from, uh, well, this is from, uh, recorded the 18th of the 12th, 1967, broadcast 24th of the 12th, 
1967. So this took place at Piccadilly Studio One. The producer was Bernie Andrews. Uh, Bowie's tunes at this point, Love You Till Tuesday, Little Bombardier, In the Heat of the Morning, Silly Boy Blue, and When I Live My Dream. Okay, so here we go, thanks to Nick Pegg. Bowie's first BBC session came about when Kenneth Pitt discovered that Bernie Andrews, producer of John Peel's Sunday afternoon show, Top Gear, was an admirer of the David Bowie album. David received ten guineas for the recording, which was backed by the seven-piece Arthur Greenslade Orchestra in arrangements which remain faithful to Bowie's studio recordings. Love You Till Tuesday closely followed the single version, right down to the hearts and flowers colder, whilst While I Live My Dream replicated the version 2 recording. Bowie apparently agreed to include Little Bombardier only after repeated requests by Bernie Andrews. The show was broadcast on Christmas Eve, Bowie sharing the bill with Jimi Hendrix, Traffic, Family and Ice. Wow, terrific. It appears that the mysterious Something I Would Like to Be, which the Pitt Report claims was recorded for the session, is no more than a myth. It did not appear in the broadcast and has never been referred to by any other source. Kenneth Pitt is equally adamant that In the Heat of the Morning was not played at the session, although it definitely was. It's therefore to be conjectured that something I would like to be might exist in Pitt's notes as a working title for In the Heat of the Morning, a new song at the time whose official Decca recording lay three months in the future, appearing in this session with a very different arrangement and lyrics. So the thing about Ken Pitt is that he was actually uh, pretty organised, wasn't he? <laughs> if you look at the Pitt report, mm. I mean, it's, that's very detailed. And, and oh, that, yeah. again, that is a, another really important part of the Bowie jigsaw, you know, of course, in, in, yeah. literary, in literary terms. Um, but uh, he got that wrong, so he's adamant it didn't happen, but everybody <laughs> knows that it did. Um, well, you know, these things happen, you know, songs change colour, change shape, change name, don't they? So you can see where he did kind of go wrong on that. Of course, yeah. So uh, now to the second session for Top Gear. So recorded the 13th of the 5th, 68, broadcast 26th of the 5th, 68. And uh, yeah, it was uh, Piccadilly Studio One, once again, producer Bernie Andrews, London by Tartar, In the Heat of the Morning, Karma Man, When I'm Five and Silly Boy Blue, not broadcast until it was repeated. Ah, so for Bowie's second Top Gear set, this time sharing a bill with the Animals, Family, Alan Bowne and Mike Stewart, David enlisted the arranging skills of his new producer and the extravagant 14-piece band was duly billed as the Tony Visconti Orchestra. I love that touch. They included John McLaughlin on guitar, Herbie Flowers on bass, predating his work on Space Oddity by over a year, a pre-blooming Barry Morgan on drums, Alan Hawkshaw on keyboards, Tyrannosaurus Rex's Steve Peregrine Tuck joined uh, Tony Visconti on backing vocals. Silly Boy Blue was only aired in the repeat broadcast. It was standard BBC practice at the time to hold back a track or two for repeat. When I'm Five from this session is the only full studio recording David ever made of the song, and it was this version that later appeared in the Love You Till Tuesday film and on its accompanying soundtrack album. I love that. I mean, I've seen that film recently. Was yeah, it part yeah. and parcel of the uh, Finding Fame? It there was. were clips in there, yeah. Yeah, where Bowie's looking really so coy. Yeah. I mean, and acting like a, a real toddler, you know, like biting his bottom lip and all yeah. that. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, with the master tapes remaining in the hands of Bowie and Tony Visconti, the remainder of this session has never leaked onto the bootleg circuit. And as a result, the appearance of every track bar When I'm Five on Bowie at the Beeb was greeted with considerable excitement. The majestic arrangement of Silly Boy Blue a particular note. Yeah, so we will get to Bowie at the Beeb a bit later, won't we? Yep. So the next one, the Dave Lee Travis Show, recorded uh, 20th of October 1969, broadcast six days later, producer Paul Williams this time, and it took place at the uh, Aeolian Hall Studio 2. The songs, Unwashed and Somewhat Slightly Dazed, Let Me Sleep Beside You, which wasn't broadcast, and Janine, not broadcast either. 
Okay, for this short but excellent session, Davey was backed by Space Oddity Band Junior's Eyes, Mick Wayne on guitar, John Honk Lodge on bass, Tim Renwick on guitar, and John Cambridge on drums. BBC Records revealed that Junior's Eyes lead singer Graham Kelly was also present, although it's uncertain whether he contributed to the session. Only Unwashed and Somewhat Slightly Days was broadcast alongside the then-current Space Oddity single and a short interview with Brian Matthew recorded on the same day. An excerpt from the interview, plus Let Me Sleep Beside You from this session, a superb rendition and perhaps Bowie's definitive recording of the number appeared on the BBC Sessions 1969-1972 sampler, while both of these tracks, plus Janine, were included on Bowie at the Beeb. Right, on to the Sunday show now, recorded the 5th of the 2nd, 1970, broadcast 8th of the 2nd, 1970, the Paris Cinema Studio, Jeff Griffin. So the uh, the lineup of songs, Amsterdam, God Knows I'm Good, Buzz the Fuzz, Karma Man, London by Tatar, An Occasional Dream, Width of a Circle, Janine, Wild-Eyed Boy from Free Cloud, Unwashed and Somewhat Slightly Dazed, Fill Your Heart, The Prettiest Star, Signet Committee, Memory of a Free Festival, and Waiting for the Man, which was not broadcast. So this is an important one, this, isn't it? It is. So... So, although they would not call themselves hype until a fortnight later, Bowie's new backing band, referred to as the Tony Visconti Trio in BBC documentation, made its debut at this hour-long concert, the sixth programme in a new series of shows compared by John Peel and recorded before a live audience. It's funny, isn't it, how you can go from being an orchestra to a trio <laughs> just overnight. That's show business. It is, it uh, is. For the first four numbers, David accompanied himself alone on acoustic guitar before being joined by Tony Visconti on bass, John Cambridge on drums for a couple of songs, with Mick Ronson adding his guitar skills from width of a circle onwards. It was Bowie's first live performance with Ronson. I met him for the first time about two days ago through John the Drummer, David remarks at one point between numbers. As well as marking the first appearance of a prototype version of width of a circle, the session offers a brace of Biff Rose covers, uh, one of which would later be recorded for Hunky Dory. The other, Buzz the Fuzz, is more of a rarity. This session offers the only surviving version of the song as performed by Bowie. All right, live recordings of an occasional dream God Knows I'm Good, Signet Committee and Memory of a Free Festival are also exclusive to this session. The latter was edited down from its original 6 minute 40 length to just over 3 minutes when the concert overran its allotted hour. For the same reason, a five and a half minute version of Waiting for the Man was cut before the broadcast and has never seen light of day. So, for many years, this session was available only in the form of a decidedly ropey off-air recording available on various bootlegs. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so, Bowie at the Beeb changed all that, including Amsterdam, God Knows I'm Good, The Width of a Circle, Unwashed and Somewhat Slightly Dazed, Signet Committee, and Memory of a Free Festival from this historically fascinating concert. Oh. I tell you, there are some, um, and I, I've very nearly bought them on occasion, BBC transcription discs. Oh, yes. Yes, I know. You know they will yeah. crop up on, the, on eBay mm, every now yeah. and then, and it would have, like, maybe a David Bowie session like maybe this one the Sunday show on one side and it could have something completely random on the other as yeah. well brilliant artifacts yeah, they I, are. I really kind of wish I'd bought the ones that were up for grabs but they were always quite dear because um, well it's just the, 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 the coupling of David Bowie and the BBC yes. on vinyl, you know, it just oh, obviously yeah. didn't exist at that point. Yeah, I always take a look. As you say, they're always pricey, which you can understand. Of course yeah, they yeah. are. So move on. Next one now, Sounds of the 70s for Andy Ferris, recorded 25th of March 1970, uh, broadcast in on the 6th of April 1970. The venue this time, the Playhouse Theatre Studios producer, Bernie Andrews. Uh, the songs are Superman, Waiting for the Man, Width of a Circle, Wild-Eyed Boy from Free Cloud, which wasn't broadcast until the repeat. And I know that Bernie Andrews was uh, pivotal in the, the BBC uh, releases, you know. Uh, he had a lot of the material yeah. on uh, tape and, uh, and very kindly gave them up. That's as I understand it anyway. 
So, the first three songs from this hype session were broadcast on April 6th edition of the new Sounds of the 70s series, hosted by Andy Ferris, and all four were aired by David Simmons on the 11th of May. They are easily distinguished from later BBC versions by Hype's heavy guitar, uh, almost prog rock sound. Kenneth Pitt records in his memoir that it was during this session that he first experienced the uncomfortable atmosphere that presaged his fall from grace. He would cease to be David's manager a few weeks later, waiting for the man from this session appears on the BBC sessions 69 to 72 sampler, while the excellent Wild Eye Boy from Free Cloud is its sole representative on Bowie at the Beeb. All right, so in concert, John Peel now recorded the 3rd of June 1971, broadcast on the 20th of June. Venue, the Paris Cinema Studio, uh, producer Jeff Griffin. The songs Queen Bitch, Bombers, The Superman, Looking for a Friend, Almost Grown, Cooks, a song for Bob Dylan, Andy Warhol, It Ain't Easy, Oh You Pretty Things, which wasn't broadcast. So Bowie's second live concert session saw him sharing the bill with Mike Herron, formerly of the Incredible String Band, uh, in John Peel's In Concert series, living out his Warholian factory fantasies in the weeks leading up to the Hunky Dory sessions. David invited a selection of friends and colleagues to make guest appearances during the session. This is going to be incredibly complicated, began compared John Peel, and he wasn't wrong. In addition to the core band of Mick Ronson, Woody Woodmancy and Trevor Boulder, David had brought along vocalist Donna Gillespie, who sang Andy Warhol, George Underwood, who sang song for Bob Dylan and the third verse of It Ain't Easy, Jeffrey Alexander, who sang the second verse of It Ain't Easy and backing vocals on Almost Grown, and Mark Carr Pritchard, who sang Looking for a Friend. Peel introduced Pritchard as being with a group called Arnold Corns, who have a single called Moon Age Daydream, which nobody on the BBC has played at all, which is a great pity, he said. Uh, Bowie's sidemen were referred to as members of a group called Rono, who are apparently going to be making an LP fairly soon. Well, they didn't. No. Uh, OK, so despite David's own reservations, it was an entertaining set and marked several significant firsts. Most of the songs were new to the repertoire and with four very different versions of the forthcoming hunky-dory tracks, including Kooks, composed only days earlier. Two songs that were later scrapped, Looking for a Friend and Bombers, the latter on which David on piano, a complete one-off, almost grown, and a free-for-all finale of It Ain't Easy, predating the release of Ziggy Stardust by an entire year. The recording is of immense historical interest. Sadly, time constraints resulted in the cutting of OU Pretty Things before broadcast, and this number is now lost. The date of this session has been widely misquoted as the 5th of June, but BBC Records and Bowie at the Beeb confirm that the 3rd of June is correct. Bombers, Looking for a Friend, Almost Grown, Cooks and It Ain't Easy are included on Bowie at the Beeb. Now, we are bigging up this book here. We'll just uh, jump in again, say it's a complete David Bowie by mm. Nicholas Pegg, and it's perfect in every way, apart from the fact that the type is actually a little bit small. <laughs> I'm holding it very close to my face oh, here. I, I, I tell you, it's getting, it's, uh, do you know how you start off with those uh, 3D books when you have to start off with them right, right on touching your nose? and you drag it away slowly. It's a shame we haven't got a giant magnifying glass each, but oh, anyway. Next time. Where are we on. up to now then, So Bob? we're up to Sounds of the 70s, Bob Harris now, recorded 21st of September 1971, broadcast on the 4th of October. The venue was Kensington House Studio at T1, and producer John Muir, the Supermen, Oh You Pretty Things, Eight Line Poem, Cooks, Fill Your Heart, Not Broadcast Until Repeat, Amsterdam not broadcast and also Andy Warhol again not broadcast again for sounds of the 70s but this time presented by whispering Bob Harris who was of course uh, Bowie's mate anyway wasn't yeah. he and shared a flight with Angela at one point mm. uh, this session is unique in that Davey was only joined by Mick Ronson for a pared down and largely acoustic set which is also notable as the only session of the 1960s and 70s to be recorded in stereo both Bowie and Ronson contributed guitar piano and vocals to a selection of songs recently recorded during the hunky dory sessions 
According to engineer Bill Aitken, it was a strange session, two voices, two acoustic guitars, or, in some numbers, two electric guitars. The electric guitars sounding very strange as neither Bowie or Ronson had brought in amplifiers. (laughs) Consequently, the guitars were direct injected. The fact that they DI'd led me to think they weren't taking the session too seriously. However, it's worth a listen. It's hard to imagine that, because, you know, all of these breaks that Bowie was getting uh, through the BBC, which I know that he was most grateful for, um, you wouldn't think that he would not take it seriously. But uh, I wonder if he turned up thinking there'd be amplifiers there. Possibly. It's a strange move. Anyway, to continue, my own feeling then was that Mick Ronson's contribution to Bowie's sound and style was something he was never given enough credit for, said Bob Harris later. I like to think that duo session was a rare moment of Bowie, in effect, acknowledging that Ronson wasn't just a sideman, but an integral part of his whole sound. Yeah, he uh, continues, as in the previous session, the Superman followed the alternative arrangement as recorded during the Hunky Dory sessions. Andy Warhol, one of the two tracks never broadcast, was included on the BBC session 6972 sampler, while a Superman and eight-line poem represented the session, arguably one of Bowie's best, on Bowie at the Beeb. Definitely. Superman's great on Bowie at the Beeb, isn't it? It is amazing. So, uh, another one for John Peel now sounds of the 70s, the 11th of January, 72, broadcast on the 28th of that month. Venue, again, Kensington House Studio T1 and John Muir, producer. Hang on to yourself, Ziggy Stardust, Queen Bitch, Waiting for the Man, and Lady Stardust, not broadcast until the repeat. All right. So as Ziggy Stardust loomed on the horizon, the Spiders recorded a succession of very similar sets for BBC Radio, often confused over the years as bootleggers have combined and incorrectly labelled the results. However, most of the sets can be accurately identified by minor variations in Bowie's rendition of the lyrics. The confusion gets off to a flying start with this very elusive session, which presents by John Peel saw the first major unveiling of Ziggy Stardust material. The BBC Session 6972 sampler CD claims to include Hang On To Yourself from this session, but in fact it features a version from the next Sounds of the 70s session, recorded a week later. Furthermore, the CD's liner notes state that Hang On To Yourself is the only surviving track from the session. This is incorrect. On the contrary, every song from this session except Hang On To Yourself has appeared on bootlegs, usually in considerably inferior quality to the other 72 sessions. Notably, this is the only session from the 70s to be omitted entirely from Bowie at the Beeb. That is confusing. Identifying lyrics for this session, Queen Bitch begins, Well, I'm up on the 11th floor, waiting for the man contains dark grey building up there, flights of stairs. Bob Harris again now, Sounds of the 70s, recorded 18th of January 1972, broadcast the 7th of February. This one recorded at Studio 5 in Maida Vale with Jeff Griffin as producer. Bowie does Queen Bitch, Five Years, Hang On To Yourself, Ziggy Stardust, Waiting For The Man. Again, not broadcast, that one. I'll tell you what, I'm, I recently went to uh, Maida Vale for a six music thing, and, yes. uh, and and I did a little bit of filming there just for posterity. I mean, you know, it's been filmed before, but not by me, and it's going to be knocked down before too long, which, yeah. uh, which, which personally, for me, I'm, I'm not just me, I know a lot of people think it's an absolute tragedy, you know? Mm. Um, but I, I went into four and five, which are the two studios that Bowie used, and I filmed them, and uh, with the intention of putting some of the material on cheap things yes. the uh, the website that we run and the, the members club that we run um, uh, so it was quite spooky because I've been in there a lot myself mm. you know just doing sessions with the bands that I've been yeah, in yeah sure um, but you, you never really stop to think of like oh the history that I've gone through it and even though when you walk into Maida Vale there's photographs of the Beatles and there's photographs of Led Zeppelin and you do get a chill down your spine when you actually just stop and think to yourself you know the early Beatles will have been carrying their own guitars yeah, down, down these hallowed um, yeah. halls 
hallways, you know, and 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 Zeppelin finding the feet and all that kind of stuff. Wonderful. Um, and uh, and yeah, obviously we um, Mark Radcliffe and I had a bit of cross pollination with Bowie in there, but we'll get to that later on. We will. All okay. right. So uh, this is so the, back to this session then with Bob Harris. So this electric session was recorded by the Spiders only a week after its predecessor. This time for an edition of Sounds of the Seventies presented by Bob Harris. It's worth noting that the two January nineteen seventy two sessions coincided with a recording of the last few tracks of the Ziggy Stardust album itself at Trident Studios. While laying down these BBC tracks, the Spiders were simultaneously working on the original versions of Suffragette City, Starman and Rock and Roll Suicide. What a time to be around Bowie. Oh man, uh, Hang On To Yourself from this session appeared on the BBC session sampler we've talked about, wrongly labelled as coming from the previous session, previously talked about. The entire set is included on Bowie at the Beeb, although the album's initial pressing accidentally substituted the recording of Ziggy Stardust from the 16th of May 1972 session. And there are some um, CDs that were pressed up to correct that. Um, yes. And uh, well, I've got a couple. I knew you'd have a couple. Yeah. Well, at least one. <laughs> well, I haven't got one, as you've had. Well, if I, can find, if I can find more than one copy, you're welcome. Oh, mate. mate. Uh, so, identifying lyrics for this session, Bowie's vocal for Queen Bitch begins with a whispered, oh, yeah, before, mm, I'm up on the 11th floor. And after the first line, David says, louder, five years is unique to this session and has, I had to cram so much, everything in there. Hang on to yourself as she'll come to the show tonight, praying to the light machines. Ziggy Stardust has played it left hand, but played it too far. And waiting for the man has grey, dirty building up their flights of stairs. Yeah, so Sounds of the 70s for John Peel are recorded the 16th of the 5th 72, broadcast on the 23rd of the 5th 72, and made a veil studio for... Pete Ritzema being mm. the producer. Hang on to yourself. There's so many versions of Hang I know, on to yourself. I know, it doesn't really change the set list, does Not it, much? Not much. I would think, I mean, because now, when, any, when anybody comes in to do a session for us on Six Music, and they always say, oh, um, uh, we can do that. And I say, well, you can do it if you want, but you've already done it once, and so it's already in the archive, and an yeah. alternative version yeah. to what's on the record. It's a weird one, especially when you consider all these are so compacted, aren't they, just within a month or two of each other, these sessions. I suppose that's part of the problem, really, isn't it? I mean, because I, though he could have gone further back and, and done stuff from uh, Manus All the World and Hunky Dory and Ziggy yeah. which he does to an extent yeah. but he doesn't mix it up very much does he not much at all so no. hang on to yourself Ziggy Stardust White Light White Heat uh, as opposed to uh, Waiting for the Man and uh, Suffragette City Moon Age Daydream you can guess what's coming next not broadcast oh, until yeah. repeat I'll tell you what he was determined to get Velvet Underground in there somewhere wasn't he on yeah. every session Yeah. on the eve of Ziggy Stardust release the Spiders recorded three further sessions the first was for a Tuesday night John Peel show incorrectly billed in some documentation as John Peel with Top Gear Sounds of the 70s title which has done nothing to ease the confusion of historians <laughs> for this recording ronson boulder and woodmancy were joined by pianist nicky graham whose frenetic dexterity on tracks like suffragette city and white light white heat helped to make this tight exuberant set arguably the best of the 1972 sessions the revised repeat featured Moon Age Daydream for the first time, but omitted Hang On To Yourself, well, they were sick of it probably, and Ziggy Stardust. The latter appears on the BBC session sampler, while the entire set is included on Bowie at the Beeb. This session is more easily identifiable than its immediate predecessors, not least because it features two songs, Suffragette City and Moon Age Daydream, that were included in no other BBC set. Identifying lyrics for the others, Hang On To Yourself as comes to the show tonight, praying to the light machine. Uh, Ziggy Stardust as well, he played it left hand, but made it to far and white light white heat has the ad lib white light made me sound like lou reed the a to z of david bowie with mark riley and rob hughes so the johnny walker lunchtime show and it was recorded the 22nd of the 5th 72 broadcast the 5th to the 9th of the 6th 1972 it was roger pusey who produced it and it was uh, yeah recorded at the elolian hall in studio two 
Yeah, so uh, Starman, broadcast uh, June 1972. Space Odyssey, not broadcast. Changes, not broadcast. And Oh You Pretty Things, broadcast again 5th of uh, June 1972. So for this session, the Spiders were joined once again by pianist Nicky Graham, something of an unsung hero of Bowie's 1972 tour, whose work is showcased well on the faithful recreations of Changes and Oh You Pretty Things included here. Unusually, the recording of Starman incorporated a remix backing tape of the string arrangements from the Trident original, but the remainder of the performance performance is entirely new. That's interesting. Uh, rather than showcasing the whole session, Johnny Walker networked one song per show for five days in a row. Oh, You Pretty Things on the 5th of June, followed by Starman on four consecutive days. Changes of Space Odyssey were not broadcast, but the latter was included on the BBC sessions, uh, that's 6972 sampler, while the complete session, yes, you guessed it, appears on Bowie at the Beeb. Identifying lyrics for this session, Space Oddity includes the ad-lib, I'm just a rocket man, ooh, while the full band rendition of OU Pretty Things is easily differentiated from the stripped-down acoustic version recorded the previous year. Starman and Changes are unique to this session. Back to Bob Harris now, Sounds of the 70s, recorded 23rd of May 72, broadcast 19th of June. This is back to Made Avail, of course, Studio 4 with producer Jeff Griffin. Andy Warhol, Lady Stardust, White Light, White Heat and Rock and Roll Suicide, recorded only a day after its predecessor, Bowie's final BBC session of the 70s was for Bob Harris's Sounds of the 70s and once again saw pianist Nicky Graham joining the Spiders in the studio. All but White Light, White Heat were later included on Bowie at the Beeb. Identifying lyrics for this session, Andy Warhol ends with David Adlib in a camp impersonation of Warhol, uh, concluding with, well, I only look at the pictures myself. Lady Stardust ends with him saying, wrong song. White Light, White Heat begins with, White Light, going to take out of my brain. In Rock and Roll Suicide, which is unique to this session, Bowie mutters, I'm going to lift this mic up a bit in the air over the opening bar. That gets rid of the mythology of that song, doesn't it? It does a little bit. (laughs) And so, I mean, if you look at it, it, crucially, the next session that we're going to jump forward to now, for the BBC Mm. anyway, is in 1991. We'll get to that in a moment. But of course, we're looking here at the 23rd of May, 1972. That's on the cusp of it all happening for Bowie, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is, yeah. And so it is strange because uh, he he doesn't go back for decades. And and so that was a case of him never really looking back and never, never needing the BBC again from that point on, obviously. Uh, and not going back because most people you, you can see that in the careers of a lot of the, the bands you know if you look at the history of John Peel's sessions mm. and, and you will see them up to becoming famous and then for one reason or another they quite often don't go back the same thing happened with T-Rex as well but of course, yeah, of course. Mark Boland was only around for a short while afterwards uh, sadly uh, but we're looking now at Mark Goodyear's evening session recorded and broadcast the 13th of the 8th 1991 from Made Avail Studio 5 producer Def Smith yeah, so A Big Hurt, Baby Universal, Stateside, If There Is Something, and Heaven's In Here. After a break of 19 years, Bowie returned to the BBC in August 1991 to record a set with Tin Machine, broadcast live on Mark Goodyear's evening session. The five tracks later released on various formats of Tin Machine's Baby Universal single. Okay, so 1997 now, Changes Now, Bowie, and The Man Who Sold the World, Superman, Andy Warhol, Repetition, Lady Stardust, White Light, White Heat, Shopping for Girls, Quicksand, and Aladdin Sane. During rehearsals, in New York for his 50th birthday gig Bowie recorded nine songs exclusively for Radio 1's retrospective Changes Now Bowie interspersed with an interview by Marianne Hobbs the often surprising selection offered a revealing insight into David's own perception of his career as he reached his half century for the mainly acoustic set David was accompanied by Reeves Gabrels on guitar, Gail Ann Dorsey, bass and vocals, Mike Garson on piano, 
and Zach Alford on drums. The session was produced by Mark Platty, who later recalled that we did most of the songs in a day, just David, Reeves and Gail together live. I did some strings and keys after the fact. David did six lead vocal tracks in two hours. Okay. Well, this is what's going to make me jealous here. We now move on to, we have a personal connection to the next one, don't you? Yeah, it was a session that uh, Bowie did for Mark Radcliffe and I. Uh, So it was the 25th of the 10th, 1999, made a Vail Studio 4, producer Will Saunders. Uh, He was the voice of Scoff Cruddle in Frogging. Oh, was he? Yeah, just for for the, you know, the completists (laughs) out there. Um, So I I do remember well, Survive, Driving Saturday, Something in the Air, Can't Help Thinking About Me, and Repetition. And I've told this one before, but yeah, Mark Radcliffe and I were just on our way out of Made of Ale to get a Sarney, and Davey was coming in, and uh, we did know him a little bit by this time, and uh, he he just said, oh, yeah, guys, hang on a minute. I believe one of you uh, want me to do Driving Saturday. I was like... Well, well, yeah. Would you mind? He went. No, of course not. No, we'll do that. Um, what else would you like? Here's the current set list. And so I grabbed it off him before Mark had a chance. <laughs> and I was like, Are "You doing? Can't help thinking about me." Yeah, we're doing that now. Can we have that? Yeah, of course you can. And so he was going to do four tunes for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, he didn't. He did five, and he, and and he, so he added repetition. And I remember, obviously, it's a song about domestic yeah, violence yeah, yeah. and dom- domestic abuse. Um, and it was afternoon Radio 1. It was mm. not really afternoon Radio 1 fair. It was, if you consider that they were playing like, you know, Craig David and Usher and sure, all that yeah, kind of clobber, yeah. for Bowie to be doing that uh, on this particular session. I know he got a kick out of it. I yeah. know that he thought, this is brilliant. I'm just still being allowed to do that. Yeah. And again, just previously mentioned, you know, the fact that there was nobody else on Radio 1 who was really interested in David Bowie at that particular point in time. It seems ridiculous now, doesn't it? It seems. Do you know why he chose Repetition, by the way? I know it's obviously it's a great tune just in itself, you know, subject matter or not, but did he kind of confide in, you know, why he added that one on as an extra? He didn't, know, but I mean, he had done it for the changing now Bowie thing. And he, and yeah. so it was in his set list and he, and he had worked it out so it was there to be had right. and like I say it was probably driven slightly not by mischief but by the fact that he could do it you know yes. so it yeah. was the case of delivering this uh, really gnarly uh, horrible tale mm. uh, in the middle of a load of incongruous kind of like you know pop music yeah of course uh, but it was an amazing day as it would be and I do remember that um, yeah well um, Warren Peace turned up oh which, yes that was uh, Jeff McCormack hello Jeff and uh, obviously we're all excited that Bowie's there and he's got the band with him you know it's all Mike Garson and everybody mm. it was Paige Hamilton playing guitar at that yeah point I believe so yeah from Helmet uh, who didn't last very long really um, but uh, yeah it was like hey, Warren Peace is coming and then he tipped up and everybody's going is that him you know it's kind of like a, almost this mythical creature right of course yeah Warren Peace he was omnipresent with Bowie but he's like a name that you would hear yeah. here and there but you didn't know um, and yeah and uh, Iran his um, daughter came with him and also um, Duncan was there, as I remember. Ah, yeah, I was reading about that before, yeah. Yeah, okay. so uh, so Duncan turned up, um, or Zowie Bowie, if you want to call him that. Um, but um, So there was a real buzz about it, and I do remember that uh, we brought a, uh, I don't know why, but we brought a deer stalker Sherlock Holmes hat with us. I've seen those pictures. Yeah, yes. and we were and we, and we were messing about with it, and then he took it off my, my head or Mark's head, I can't remember Bowie, and just put it on, and there's some photographs, some really, really not very good photographs. That's the real tragedy of it. We had some photographs taken, by a professional photographer in another room. Mm. Um, Radcliffe and I both got these dodgy matching suits on, which we always wore. Um, and Bowie looks great as always, quite long hair. Uh, but the actual shots within Studio 4 made avail, they're just really grainy and crap because people, you know, like if you've got an iPhone now or a, yeah, yeah, an sure. Android, you get these amazing photographs. That wasn't the case. And even Blam, who's a great photographer, mm. he didn't take any photographs on the day. Oh, hey. Um, and... Um, 
And also, um, I, I do I do remember hearing every now and then they say, me, me. And that was apparently, um, that was <laughs> Mark Adams, Blam, communicating with Bowie. It's some Monty Python reference. Right, all and right. And me. So you can just, I'd like, what's that noise? <laughs> and apparently it was him, and I think he was trying to make Bowie laugh. Right, okay. That might have well been what it was. Um, oh, wonderful, okay. But I, I, I took that deer stock, I thought, right, Bowie's wore this deer stock, yeah, I'm going to yeah. have that, and I put it in a BBC box, and we got on the train, got a load of cans of beer and wine and stuff, just celebrating the fact we'd done this thing with yeah. Bowie, and then ended up leaving the box on the oh, train. Oh, you're kidding me. With a deer stock. <laughs> so if anybody's got that out there, could I have it back? Yeah, That'd send be it really back. Nice be a love. Okay, that's fantastic. So his last session was the Saturday Music Show, recorded on the 25th of October 1999, broadcast on the 6th of November. Again, made available, Studio 4, producer Chris Watmore, uh, Survive, China Girl, Survive and Changes. Back-to-back with the previous Mark Radcliffe session, Bowie recorded a further two tracks for Billy Bragg's Radio 2 Saturday Music Show, followed by two more for broadcast on Chris Evans' Breakfast Team on Virgin Radio. Yeah, and so this stuff for all, I'm going to go down here now, right off mic, very unprofessional. There we go. But um, obviously, so uh, over the years, there have been various different bootlegs of these. And so uh, I've got this lot here, um, The Rise and Rise of Ziggy Stardust, Volumes 1, 2, 3, and 4. And these were like, I was, uh, these were bootlegged up for me by a mate a long, long time ago. Okay. And you're like, oh, it's just, it's, it's just brilliant. I think it's pretty much all on there, you know? Yeah. Just absolutely brilliant stuff. To, to have it all in one place like that was great. And then another mate, I won't name him because it's obviously bootlegged. Legging and uh, but he he did this, which was really nice. Oh, nice. Is it a five CD set? It is right. and and it's got a great cover on it. Um, and it's just uh, and it includes the stuff that isn't available on Bowie at the Beep. So it's everything. Oh hey, that Ooh. really is the complete David Bowie recordings. I feel underdressed now because I just brought along my uh, very deluxe big vinyl box set of Bowie at the Beep, which came out in 2016. Uh, having uh, weirdly having won. The three CD, limited edition three CD set, Bowie at the Beeb, on your Radio One show with Mark Radcliffe back yeah. in the day, which is how we know each other in the first place, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's right. And so, um, and and you won the uh, the Guy Pilar David Bowie signed clubber, didn't I you? I did indeed. Yes, which is which is great. But when this came out on vinyl. Oh, I, I was straight in there. It's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? Yes. And uh, yeah, it is one of those. I get a credit in it, and I don't know why. Oh, do you? Let's have a look. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get the. I mean, I, the first time I think I've really touched it. I don't play it because it's just so immaculate. This thing. What a document it is. Let's I have, have played it. Yeah, it's got special thanks to a load of people just before the just oh, above yes, the yes, Parlophone yes. BBC logo. Yeah, you're the in there. Page. I'm in there. You are. Uh, just about hanging in by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> Three but, from the end, but yeah, you're in there. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, really but I mean, it's it's a brilliant thing. I have played it. I couldn't resist. And 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 to have this stuff on vinyl, it was great enough having it on bootleg CD because you just yeah. thought, oh, bingo. You know, I'm I'm in. I've got it all. And it's just the mythical stuff, bits and bats that you had, as we've mentioned previously, stuff that was wrongly labelled and you weren't really sure yeah. about um, and uh, you know we didn't know what Bombers was really because obviously it was going to be uh, on Ziggy but ended mm. up not being mm. and um, oh, so oh. It, this absolutely beautiful booklet and then being able to listen to the stuff there within on vinyl it's just an absolute treat a real treat but also we should at this point mention the radio theatre show that Bowie did ah yes okay which is available through the uh, three it's uh, like the 3D extra discs 
you've got CD1, CD2, Extra Disc, BBC Radio Theatre, London, June the 27th, 2000. And so there's some sleeve notes in here, funnily enough, from Blam. Okay. Okay, and he wrote these. He said, uh, an evening with David Bowie at the BBC Radio Theatre, London, Tuesday the uh, 27th of June, 2000. Typical conversation two months before the BBC show was announced. A fan. Psst, Blamo. Have you heard anything about David doing a tiny fan club show in London? Blam. Nope. Nothing like that's happening, I'm afraid. The fan. Oh, you wouldn't say there was, even if there was. <laughs> and so it goes on about the day. Okay. Uh, and he, I mean, he is, he's a wag, is Blam. But uh, he says in there that I, he mentions all the people who turned up. But he said that I tried to get in downstairs by showing everybody my 1973 David Bowie fan club membership really? card. Which isn't true. And he also says, I was frog-marched up the stairs by Julian Stockton. Hello, Julian, uh, who worked for the outside organisation. And I was sobbing. Uh, but I can just state for the uh, record here that that isn't true. And we were in, working for the BBC. We got in there before anybody else. And I could have sat on the very front row. But it's a tiny theatre, and I knew it was being filmed. And I really, really did feel uncomfortable about being anywhere near the cameras. <laughs> and so I sat on the front row of the balcony. Okay. And it's a tiny, tiny theatre anyway, so it didn't matter about the fact that you were there. You were never far away from what he was doing. And, uh, and for those of you who've seen it, I can't remember how it's edited, really, uh, but Bowie had a chest infection, and quite often between the songs, it was a little bit like Blue Velvet and Dennis Hopper. Right. He had this like little flask of very uh, of hot and menthol and stuff, hot water and menthol, mm. and he'd have to put the mask over his, over his nose and mouth and breathe to clear his chest up a bit, and then he carried on again. Uh, and it was really great. And he said, who was there? Simon Le Bon and Yasmin Le Bon. Uh, Russell Crowe came out that first okay. night with uh, saying that he was going out with Meg Whatnot. Right, okay. Uh, who else was there? Yeah, Boy George was there. Uh, Nick Rhodes and Simon Le Bon, as mentioned. Uh, yeah, the list goes on. It says there, uh, Richard E. Grant. Oh. Uh, was there so right, okay. it, it was a proper it was a proper kind of star fest uh, and 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 the actual people who went were were just picked randomly by some kind of like you know some gadget that you would use to just because apparently this is what it says here ten thousand peoploids that's the way that Blam puts it wanted to go to the gig right and there was just a, a couple of hundred who could right. and so uh, and it's got a list of all the people if you if you notice it on the booklet with there the uh, extra Bowie at the Beeb it's got a list of all the people who actually went there. And there's people ah. on there that, that we know, like Paul Kinder, I bet, uh, Bowie Wonderworld, who oh, okay. done an amazing job for all these years. Yeah. And Stephen King, uh, who was an old mate, who was just completely Bowie mad. So uh, there's some people on there that I do recognise. Uh, but it, a, a great thing to have. Oh, you're privileged, you really were. Yeah, again, I know. The A to Z of David Bowie, with Mark Riley and Rob Hughes. All right, well, S is also for Sex Pistols. Now, at this point in time, Bob, we just need to say that this is S Part 10. It really is, yes. We didn't see this coming, did we? We thought perhaps you know, S might be a four-part, five-parter, possibly, but here we are, you know, at Part 10, and we think this might just be the last entry in S. There are more, but we thought we've got to draw a line somewhere. We have got to stop, Bob. We've just got to stop. And so, uh, you know, this will be a bit of a longer episode than usual. Hopefully nobody will complain. Um, and the Sex Pistols thing is actually quite nebulous, really. Yeah. Uh, you know, but there are some very interesting things within this story and uh, and some quite poignant things as well. So we're going to do it anyway, aren't we, Bob? We are. I mean, the interesting thing is that each Sex Pistol, in its own way, had a had a to 
varying degrees uh, an appreciation of Bowie from Sid Vicious being a really massive fan to John Lydon being a little bit on the fence and sometimes dismissive other times kind of full of praise but and, and Steve Jones and Paul Cook something else altogether which we'll find out okay let's get to it then so the Sex Pistols were an English punk rock band that formed in London in 1975 they were responsible for initiating the punk movement in the United Kingdom and inspiring many later punk and alternative rock musicians although their initial career lasted just two and a half years and produced only four singles and one studio album never mind the bollocks here's the Sex Pistols they're regarded as one of the most influential acts in the history of popular music the Sex Pistols originally comprised of vocalist Johnny Rotten well that's not true there was Wally wasn't there there was, was the yeah Wally Knight girl yeah but anyway John Lydon guitarist Steve Jones drummer Paul Cook and bassist Glenn Matlock Matlock was replaced by Sid Vicious in the uh, early 1977 under the management of impresario Malcolm McLaren the band provoked controversies that both captivated and appalled Britain their concerts repeatedly faced difficulties with organisers and authorities and public appearances often ended in mayhem through an expletive laced TV interview in December 1976 and their May 1977 single God Save the Queen attacking Britain's social conformity and deference to the crown they precipitated one of the most significant pop culture based moral panics in January 1978 at the end of a turbulent tour of the United States Rotten left the band and announced its breakup over the next several months the three other band members recorded songs for McLaren's film version of the Sex Pistols story The Great Rock and Roll Swindle Vicious died of a heroin overdose in February 1979 following his arrest for the alleged murder of his girlfriend Nancy Spungen. In 1996, Rotten, Jones, Cook and Matlock reunited for the Filthy Luca tour. Through 2008, they staged further reunion shows and tours. On the 24th of February 2006, the Sex Pistols, the four original members plus Vicious, were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but they refused to attend the ceremony, fittingly, calling the museum a piss stain. <laughs> so I, if you never... <laughs> I think it was probably John Lydon who called it a piss stain. I, I can so. see that above the rest of the members. Uh, so the Bowie connection. So there's, uh, we know we've talked about this one before, I think. Yeah. But there's a really famous um, uh, photograph of Sid Vicious, John yeah. Beverly, yeah. on his way to watch Davy Bowie at the ill-fated Earl's Court show. Mm. And he's got Oxford bags on, as Bowie wore, and he's got a denim jacket. He's holding it open. He's kind of got a Bowie cut. You know, yeah, he has, yeah. It's slightly mulletish. It's a Ziggy cut, certainly. Yeah, and he's got a, a red Davy Bowie T-shirt with the black image of Bowie on yeah. it. And, and and you look at it, and you can't, you can't help but like think... Ah, this poor guy is going to be dead yeah. in a few years' yeah, time, yeah, and, yeah. And, the, and the transformation between that kind of fresh-faced young Bowie fan, yeah, and then you know the the kind of mess that he became at the end of his life. It really is. It's, it's such a sad story. Yeah, it's so poignant, is it? According to Marco Peroni of Adam and the Ants, as well as Vicious Bandmate, in the first uh, iteration of Susie and the Banshees, he said Sid was a tall, geeky kind of bloke into Roxy music and Bowie. I think Sid would have wanted to be Bowie, but without the talent to pull it all off, he didn't even have the. Talent talent to play bass and no, he was he a bass player in the Pistols yeah, wasn't he no uh, writing in his limited edition scrapbook, John Lydon said of Vicious, he was very impressed with Davy Bowie. He loved Bowie. He loved that hairdo, but he had no idea how to get it to stick up like that. So he used red paint and put himself upside down in a gas oven. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it? So on the 15th of June now, 1978, John Lydon went to an Iggy Pop show at the Music Machine in Camden. Ron Asherton later recalled in Legs McNeil's book, Please Kill Me, we were playing at the Music Machine and after the show, Bowie and Rotten came backstage. They're all sitting around a big table and Bowie and Iggy just kept telling Johnny flat out what he should do. You know, you should do this. Get rid of these guys. Straighten up your act. Go talk to this person. And he's just sitting there not saying anything. Finally, Johnny just stood up and said, fuck you guys, you're full of shit. 
He walked towards me and Fred Smith and Gary Ramerson. Fred had a fifth of Jack and he said, can I get that? Then he goes, you guys I want to talk to. Before that, I don't think much of the guy. After that, I go, this guy's all right. He's just told Iggy and Bowie to fuck off. Uh, Lydon later commented in his autobiography, Rotten, No Irish, No Blacks, No Dogs. I was at an Iggy Pop gig at Camden Palace in London and I went backstage to say hello because I'd met Iggy a year before. Mr Bowie wanted me removed, thrown out in fact. He wasn't touring with Iggy, he was just backstage. I thought it was odd. It was Iggy's gig and Mr Bowie got his personal bouncers to have me removed. I've had a utter loathing for Bowie since then. What a pompous prat. Ooh. Uh, in 2017, when the enemy asked Steve Jones what records he'd still be listening to in 40 years' time, he offered up only one, the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Uh, so this is from an interview uh, with Steve Jones. Uh, and you interviewed him, didn't you? That, I did, yeah. That's what it's for, yeah. So it was his autobiography, Lonely Boy, wasn't it? Yeah, which is a great read, by the way. It's yeah. a no-holds-barred. So that came out in uh, 2016. So I had a chat with him on the phone. He lives in L.A. now. Uh, in November 2016, and we got onto various things, of course, talking about the history of the Pistols and all the rest of it, but his early career, well, you couldn't call it career, but his habit of thieving all the time from famous pop stars, yeah, you know, stole from the, the Stones and the Faces and Mott the Hoople and various others, including this one. So I brought this one up. I said to him, uh, you admit that you took some of David Bowie's gear after one of the Hammersmith Odeon gigs in 73, Trevor Boulder's bass amp, Bowie's microphone, Woody's cymbals and various other uh, Neumann mics. There's an apocryphal story that says you also took Mick Ronson's Gibson guitar. Is that true? Because it's been doing the rounds for a while, this story. Yeah. And he said, no, no, unfortunately not. And then I said to him, when you finally met Bowie, did you tell him about that incident? His reply, yeah, he thought he was quite funny. It was actually nothing of his that I nicked, just some microphones. It wasn't like I nicked his favourite outfit or anything. It was just a bass player's amp, a bunch of Neumann mics that they were using to record and a couple of Woody's cymbals which I've made amends for. And he carried on to say, Woody was actually on my radio show a couple of months ago with Tony Visconti when they were doing a little tour for that Bowie album they both played on, which uh, was, of course, The Man Who Sold the World. I had them both live on the show and made amends to Woody by giving him a couple of hundred books for his symbols. I uh, said to him then, so this is all part of the 12-step philosophy then, making amends for past misdemeanours. He said, yes, the concept behind making amends for things, whether it's emotional or financial, is that there's one less thing to worry about, whether it's running into someone or having a better kip at night. To be honest, it's not really got anything to do with 12 steps, though that's where I was first shown how to do that. It's what people should do anyway, regardless if you're an alcoholic or not. It was interesting, as we got on, as we talked, out of the blue, he said, you happen to know, I have a, a phone number for Luther Grosvenor, Ariel Bender from Mott the Hoop, and I said, why? And he said, well, I took his Les Paul, uh, you know, back in the day. And I always felt really, really bad about it. And I would like to uh, make some kind of amends. I just happened to have Luther's number in right. my book or the last number I had for him. And uh, and so now this is going back only kind of maybe a couple of months ago now. I was talking to Luther and I happened to bring this up. I said, this is a bizarre way to start an interview. I said, but, you know, have you heard from Steve Jones at all from the Pistols? He said, well, funnily enough, he called me maybe about six or seven months ago and, and we had this chat. He said, I couldn't really, Luther being the kind of person he is, I couldn't really make out what he was saying a lot of the time, but I think he was trying to make amends for taking this Les Paul. Right. Had. And he said, uh, and he is a kind of mercurial character, isn't he, Luther? And he said, well, to be honest, I, I'm not really bothered, you know, really not. But at the same time, wouldn't mind the money for it or perhaps he could replace it with a similar Les Paul. Okay. But, uh, you know, these, it's, he said it's just one of those things and it happened so long ago and it was annoying at the time, but he said, uh, you know, so much water has passed under the bridge. Well, it has, but, I mean, that's quite magnanimous, really, because, I mean, a guitar like that would be worth oh, thousands absolutely. and thousands. And so, I mean, you know, if Steve Cook wanted to kind of, like, uh, uh, give him some cash back, it would be a lot of cash back. There's no point in giving him oh, a no. couple of hundred dollars because no, no, that no, would no. be a slap in the face, wouldn't it? Yeah, serious money. So the same sort of issue was referenced here in the 2017 interview with, uh, this is from Ultimate Classic Rock with Paul Cook, 
given his version of those events. Times were tight when the Sex Pistols started out, so much so that co-founding drummer Paul Cook said they resorted to swiping stuff from touring artists like David Bowie. You've got to understand, we weren't very rich at the time, Cook told Loudwire. Uh, We wanted to form a band and that was one way of getting equipment. Cook, who started a group called The Strand with Steve Jones that evolved into the Sex Pistols, said these were simply crimes of opportunity. After all, their home base was near one of the UK's most recognisable live music venues, and there was nothing, quite literally, that the Sex Pistols wouldn't pilfer. Talking about Hammersmith Odeon again. Yeah, it was so easy to get in those places, and we'd just go round the back, Cook recalled. We lived in Hammersmith, and so many bands played in Hammersmith Odeon, so we got a full range of equipment before we could even play, really, including the PA. Yeah, it is funny, isn't it? Because, I mean, I've mentioned this before, I think probably on the program but there's normally this kind of like a philosophy amongst musicians where you, you wouldn't nick off each no, other no no it's like you, you like to think that like welders won't nick each other's welding gear it's kind yeah. of an unwritten law isn't yeah. it really but so absolutely anyway. yeah uh, fortune smiled brightly when bowie came to town there's a famous story about steve when davy bowie was doing his final shows at the ziggy stardust tour uh, um cook noted between shows they'd leave all their equipment standing overnight it was a big mistake especially with us around yeah so an interview now from 2018 with their uh, Newsweek with John Lydon and he's asked was David Bowie's death upsetting to you he said it was shocking uh, but I think the man died so reasonably regally wonderfully brave to just go quietly and let the work speak for itself uh, and again and he made extraordinary music on his way out and then Lydon replies well he tried let's put it that way the fact that he magnificently soldiered on I think is power for the rest of us to absorb Although, when Bowie died, uh, Lyon did post Signet Committee on the Public Image Limited website, and he told one interviewer, that's the side of Bowie I really like, the more in-depth stuff. Uh, but his presence should be missed, and it needs to be said, not by all the current idiots out there either. Listen, I love the way he died, with great dignity, and he wanted a quiet pauper's grave. What an excellent thing. No pomp and circumstance. My respect to him in death rose immeasurably. Right, and it's funny, you know, they're talking about leaving the gear there overnight, because, again, uh, forgive me if I've been through this, but uh, my mate Dan lives over the road. His dad, uh, Tom, was a copper in this area, and uh, he got a uh, he got a call one night uh, from uh, the Hard Rock. Oh, yes. In Stratford, mm. to say that there was some lights on in the venue at, like, one o'clock in the morning, you know, and right. uh, could he go and have a look? So he went down with a mate there, another copper. He was on duty. And uh, they went in, and it was a caretaker who mm. was in there, okay? He was mm. not locked up yet, or mm. whatever. And they went into the venue, and, and all of the gear was there. Wow, really? Even the guitars. So they'd left it overnight, and so Tom had to go on Woody's drums. I've told Woody this. Tom, Tom had to go on Woody's drums, and, and his mate had to go on the guitar. Right. So... You know, wow, that's was amazing. That is like we're looking at maybe September, was it 1972? Yes, yeah, it was. And to think that they're leaving, all right, you wouldn't say you, you wouldn't strip a drum kit down, you certainly wouldn't strip the PA down, you would leave that amps there. The thought of a guitar Guitar's being left out is really strange, isn't it? That's, but that's what Tom said. He said that he had to go on the drums, his mate had to go on the guitar, and then they scarpered again. Oh, great, what a leap of trust that is! Madness. So that's it for this episode of the A to Z of David Bowie. But once again, before you go... If you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things. And for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Right, so now you're thinking $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of great new exclusive material delivered to your door. Well, computer actually, Mark. Via a system called Patreon. That's right. 
Mark. Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Material such as... Interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends. There'll be regular film Bowie quizzes. Bowie guitar tutorials. Unreleased archive written material. Competitions. And perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Knock and Jason Reed Visiting various Bowie places of interest. And much more besides. All this for just $5 a month. So if you can't resist, simply go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash cheap things, or one word, and join up. There's also a website, bowiecheapthings.com. Book early 